beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in again. We always love that people are listening. It brings us joy. I know the the guests that come on, they get joy from being able to share their story and to be able to know people are listening. I think it's amazing. And it's amazing that there is this need for people or desire for people to learn more about other people in their life journeys and also their grief dreams. So we're going to begin. Today is just me, actually, Dr. Joshua Black. Uh, on the podcast, Sean Ram is unavailable, so we're going solo. So hope you guys enjoy uh, <laughs> enjoy this. So today we have Brett Perkoff, uh, who is an accomplished professional spending 40 years in managerial and executive positions before turning his attention to hospice. He received his Master's of Science from Marion University in Thanatology and is certified in Thanatology from the Association of Death Education and Counseling. He and his wife, Tina, recently started Heartstrings by Legacy Leaders, which is dedicated to ensuring that all individuals have their story told before death. And you can find that at heartstringsmemories.com. Additionally, we have Tina here, which is great. And she is an artist whose work has been displayed in several galleries across Midwest, Arizona, and online. And you can find more about her at tinamariegallery.org. All right. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. We're very excited. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. So, Brent, we actually met, uh, I want to say, what, is it two years ago? Maybe three now? Back at the International Death, Grief, and Bereavement Conference. And I got to say, I really enjoyed talking with you. I got to spend a lot of time with you. And you invited me into your, your circle of peers <laughs> that, you, that you had there and your table. And I want to sort of thank you for that because it was such a warm invite. And I had such a fun time uh, going there and then presenting and then hanging out afterwards in all the different places in uh, La Crosse. So, you know, I want to, I'm curious to ask a little bit about that because you're presenting this year, uh, which is coming up on June 3rd to 5th. And I just want to see, see if you talk about your experience at the conference, because how long so for how long have you been going there so far? I've probably been going for about three or four years now, and it's been an amazing event uh, every year. In fact, I actually go one to two days earlier because of the networking that I can do at that event uh, with the, the people that you're talking about. I mean, there's just really high quality people that are accomplished in their professions and, and actually not only lead you, but take you by the hand and teach you and mentor and coach you uh, in whatever step and journey in your life you're at. So I actually go early and I stay late. <laughs> That's nice. And now you're not a student anymore. So you got uh, you got some qualifications behind your name, which is great. Because I know you're pretty stressed when you were there because you had so many papers to write. <laughs> I think we both know that very well as you were going for your doctorate at the time I met you. And, um, it, you know, you presented the year I met you and uh, did an amazing job. And and I remember bringing all of my friends and family to that uh, presentation. Yeah, that was great. It was a great turnout. And I love how there was so much support there for the research that I was doing and the talk in general. And that, you know, boosted my mood and allowed me to sort of see that, you know, this is even like in the grief field, this is something people want to know more about. And it's like, you're one of the supporters. So thank you so much for doing that. So, so what got you to do, want to do a talk this year? Well, actually this year's conference is um, all about hospice. And 
So one of the things that I've done in my career is I spent six years uh, volunteering for hospice in Jefferson, Wisconsin, and the, it, it really touched my heart that the topic this year was on hospice. And so I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring uh, the talents that I had to the group uh, for the first time um, as a speaker rather than just as a participant. Yeah, it's got to be so exciting. Are you a little nervous for that or what? I'm terribly nervous for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, all your peers, right? You've been there four years. You've gained a lot of networking skills and you met a lot of people and they're probably going to show up and you, so that you've set a high bar. Okay, now I'm even more nervous. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And so what's your topic on this year that you're going to do? I'm actually talking about dignity therapy, which is a protocol that was developed by a doctor, Dr. Harvey Max Chachinov in Winnipeg, Canada. So for all of you Canadians there, uh, right in your country. Um, and what, what dignity therapy is, it's a set standard and protocol to document people's life journey and their life story. Uh, and it's what's neat about it is that it's not only credible, but it's valid. And, and throughout his research and throughout the research, throughout the world on dignity therapy, it's, it's proven as valid and credible throughout the world. So the protocol is a standard by which we actually use with uh, what we call heartstrings, which is the document that we provide. And it's based on that standard um, that he created that we can provide that to our patients as well. Well, that's amazing. I am sad I won't be there this year. I hope to go probably the next year if I can. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one. I think I'd love to learn more about that too. And I'm glad you're on the podcast because we can <laughs> we, we can learn more about it. So that's uh, it's really good. And I want to sort of also shout out too that one of the keynotes was a guest that we had on, uh, Reverend Andrew Vitale. Uh, from episode 72 so he's i know you know him uh very well and he's doing a, a keynote uh piece which it's going to be really good too because i haven't heard him speak because when i was there he was doing a talk the same time my talk was so i never actually got a chance to see him um but i'm glad he's doing a keynote that should be a fun one and i'm guessing it's on meditation let's see harmony requires the right spacing the same is true for life resonate with a grateful heart so it's on gratitude Andrew's a very dear friend of mine, and I can't be happier for him to have this opportunity. He's actually been part of the International Death, Grief, and Bereavement Conference for many years, sitting on their board, and uh, it's it's time that he presents as a keynote, and I'm, I'm very happy for him. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a good one. So yeah, if you can get out there, folks, you know, check it out, and it's not just for people who work with the bereaved, but it's also for the bereaved themselves. Would you agree? I would agree. I would agree. And this year's topic is hospice in the arts, coping with dying and grief. And as you know, my philosophy, even though I study thanatology, which is death, dying, grief, and bereavement, I really think that death is all about uh, living and life. And, and that's what I uh, bring to the people that we serve. Mm. That's good. So I think this is a great transition to actually talk about what you're doing now. So you started the business with Tina. Let's get Tina on here. Tina, are you there? I'm here. <laughs> All right. So how did he or did you inspire him to decide to make this uh, this this new company? 
Sure. Um, I think Brent, since he was, I don't know the phrase, knee high to a grasshopper, since he was little, the senior citizens and those that are more staged in life has been his favorites. His grandparents, great-grandparents, he's always gravitated to the elderly. When he started volunteering at hospice, it was something that was just a, a tremendous passion. He would go vigils in the middle of the night um, every Sunday for, you know, caring for someone whose family went off to church. He loved it. And I encouraged him maybe to look at doing this as a career. And he went into thanatology and got his master's. And it just flowed. And he absolutely loved being with the elderly, hearing their stories. We're not just about um, an autobiography. We're about their life, their passions, what lights them up, what sets them on fire when they think about things so that family members can know that person to the core instead of just, you know, when they graduated high school and when they got their first job. And that's nice, but who are they? And Brent digs into that and just loves it. Well, that's so interesting. And so has, does he do the same approach to you? Does he know you that well also? <laughs> Uh, probably. <laughs> yes, I'm sure he does. <laughs> that's so, That's really cool. So what's it been like, uh, I guess, working together? Because I'm guessing this might be one of your first ventures together. It is. And until this point, we both looked at each other and said, oh, no, we are both type A personalities. We're both detail orientated. I'm more on the artistic side. He's more on the analytical side. And the two of them together are oil and water. But with this, it is so creative. He can be the analytical and, and get the details down. And I end up putting in a little bit of flair of the artistic, you know, and pulling out um, from people things that maybe they hadn't thought of before. So it has been just a, a real joy to be able to work together. That's amazing. And so what, what exactly is Heartstring? So you're talking about, you know, providing people with their stories that they've shared and who they were. So how, like, what is, what goes into that? Well, we're actually not just creating memories. We're actually capturing the very essence of a person, their dialect, mannerisms, and personality. And through the protocol of dignity therapy, what we do is we go in initially and have a half an hour meeting with people and explain what we're going to do and similar questions that we may ask, give them some sample questions, and, and do an informed consent. And then we come back within three days and we give about 10 to 15 minutes of prep to get ready for that. And then we do a one hour audio tape uh, with me asking questions and then leading them into the journey of what was the most important things in their life. So we capture their lifetimes of hopes, their dreams, their aspirations, and then also any lessons learned or lessons for their loved ones. And then after that hour, then we take that back and we do many, many hours, sometimes 10 to 15 hours of editing after it's transcribed so that when we bring it back to the individual, it reads as a story, not as an interview process. And we actually read it to them and they have the opportunity to say, "Ooh, I shouldn't have said that about my brother. I better change that in the document or I forgot to say something about my cousin who was really special to me. So can I add that? And so we add that and then we take it back and we finalize that document. And then we provide them not only paper documents, but we also obtain about 25 photographs and we insert those into the document and then provide them a little bit later uh, in time, a document that's hard covered 
with their 25 pictures in it uh, amidst their story. Oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. And I like, too, how you record it. So basically, you're doing a podcast and then you're <laughs> turning it into a book. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. Hey, maybe you should think about that. Uh, <laughs> Heartstrings, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So I think it's I think that's a really interesting idea of capturing your stuff so and then making a hard copy so people can then look at it. What have your what have you experienced so far when it comes to the family's reaction and also the person who is dying their reaction? Well, I think what's really important is to remember that all not all stories are good. Not all stories leave us with positive feelings and not all lifetimes and journeys that we adventure on are positive. So there's good, there's bad, and then there's neutral stories. So what's important is what's important to that individual and that patient. But I think that, you know, as we get older and we age uh, further along, we have more and more of a desire as human beings to make sense of the world around us, to find our place in it, to know that our lives are meaningful, and then to pass on those lessons to the next generation. And so that's, that's really what we're doing. There was a woman by the name of Ellen Supa who said, I don't think I've done anything extraordinary with my life, but it's ordinary people we are that our loved ones want to know after we're gone. And I think that's the important thing that we have to remember. We hear a lot of times from people, oh, my kids wouldn't care about my story or um, nobody cares about me. But really what the family wants is they want the history and the documentation of those stories. And there's some stories that come out that the, that the children may never even known about. But what's also important is that Many times we hear from people who have already lost a loved one that they wanted more than anything else to have had this opportunity to capture that legacy document for their mother or for their father who's now passed. And they're left with pieces of stories that they don't remember the other part or they wish that it was documented. And I hear over and over again, well, I really wish I had had that for so-and-so, for my mom or for my dad. Yeah, like, I think I'm looking back at my father's life and he died suddenly. So it's not, it wasn't one of those things that you could like, a little plan for. But yeah, I would love to hear more of his perspective on stuff because it was only after he died that I started wondering even more so about how he was raised and what were his positive childhood memories um, or the things that made him you know, laugh and smile. Because I always saw him as a dad. I didn't really get a chance to see him really as, you know, an, a whole being, I guess, right? Like he, he only started in my life when he was like, what, 30 or something, right? So that's sort of what I knew him as. But like all those other years, I'm trying to like piece those back together from talking with my grandma and talking with my mom. And so to have like a document like that would be, you know, a pretty beautiful thing to to have. And so do you find that it's only people who are like dying, like in a hospice setting kind of thing that are eager to do this? Or is this something anyone can do in their spare time? Because the reality is that not, we don't always know when we're going to die. That's a great question. We actually enjoy focusing on people that have passed over their 
I don't know, working part of their life. So usually people that are over 60, 65, generations prior to getting to that age, um, it's all about living. It's all about making a life for yourself. But when you get up to that age, you start to realize uh, there is an end. The end is inevitable. Until about 60, 65, our thought process isn't looking at what am I going to leave? It's looking at what am I going to do? So we are very interested in the what will I leave? And like you said, pieces. It's almost like a puzzle. Uh, Generations prior to us have left puzzle pieces. And if we lay them out and make the whole picture, all of a sudden our life seems very valid. Oh, my goodness, I'm continuing a passion. My grandfather worked in, in mines in Iowa or in Ohio for years. And he met my grandmother at a fair, and she lived in Illinois. And he would drive his beat-up old truck all the way to Aurora, Illinois, get on a train and, and take the train to DeKalb, Illinois, and then get off and get picked up because he never wanted her family to know how beat up his old truck was. Well, what was the passion behind why he left um, Ohio and moved to Illinois? Was it his love of the earth? Was it his, he became a farmer? I am passionate about gardening and farming. And if that was part of what he left for me, how wonderful is that? But I will never know because he's now gone. So those puzzle pieces, like you said, are gone. But if we can talk to those that are over 65, those puzzle pieces start to lay down and make a beautiful picture of why we are all family together and what we're doing for each other, whether we're here or gone, and leave a document such as this so that we can further the generations to go ahead and and keep forging ahead. Yeah, I think it's it's so interesting just the concept of it because I can only imagine too the person who's dying probably hasn't really put all those pieces together themselves. It's like they're they're aspects of themselves, but the book allows them to sort of look at their whole life as a whole and that in itself would probably be very therapeutic. Absolutely. One of the um patterns that we've seen When we do a document like this, we've had two different outcomes. Well, there's three, but the third one's not as common. The first one, we will go in, we'll read it to them. Normally they cry because it's so touching to them to be able to see all the good that came out of their life and the challenges weren't for naught. And typically we see them do two things. One, they pass away almost the next day and the family's at complete peace and they understand that they were at peace. Or we find the person ends up living for another three months, six months, a year, and then they can heal some of the wounds that maybe had happened in their life with family members as they go along because they didn't really see it before until they lay it out in this document and go, oh, you know, there is some healing to be done. And they, they end up healing the past. They end up healing with relatives and everything becomes so peaceful. When you're interviewing these people, do they ever mention anything about their own dreams or visions that they have? We just had a guest on Dr. Pay Grant, and she works at Buffalo Hospice. And so that's one of the research questions they look at is about the dreams and visions of the dying. So has that ever come up when you were you know, asking these questions? It does. It does. And, you know, everybody's left with questions on that, which I think is why your research and, and the work that you're doing, Joshua, is so important for not only Canada and the United States, but really the entire world. Because when people are doing research of yours, uh, similar to yours in different areas, you find that people are really the same throughout the whole world, no matter what culture that they are raised in and what nationality that they have. 
Um, and so we're finding the same thing. We're finding that people's dreams and uh, their their experience with grief is something that, you know, they may struggle with for a long time and not really recognize or understand why those dreams come or uh, what it means to them in, in their life. Yeah, that's the, that's the big question, right? To try to provide more education uh, on the topic so the people can f- freely share and ask questions on it. Because, you know, the last thing they want to do is worry anyone <laughs> around them about what's going on. And so I'm glad most of these dreams, it seems just like in bereavement, a lot of these dreams at end of life tend to be very positive too and comforting. So it, it seems that, you know, um, there is something that's also helping themselves out, like these dreams and these visions to also make sense of, you know, the transition process and what's going on, but also maybe even said like make amends for some of the stuff that maybe they have regrets over, can help heal some past wounds. And that's sort of like what you guys are doing with, you know, just the opposite in the sense of this is more like waking life and you're trying to pull out some of the stuff. And just by doing that, you're allowing them to see maybe some stuff that they still need to work on or to say some last words to some people, but to just see their life as a whole. And hopefully they can be proud of who they've turned into at the moment of passing at, at their passing. I think that's true. And you use the word worry that, you know, people worry about the dreams that they're having but i also think there's an extra piece to that is that we all want to feel like we're normal and when that happens to us we start to question why is this happening and what does it mean and and it's part of that worry piece but it's also the part of us wanting to know that we're normal and that in humanity there are other people that are experiencing the same thing as we do Hmm. so what's one of the uh one of the best questions you ask that tends to get them to really ponder on in their life? I always ask people, what is the most important thing that has happened to you throughout your life? And usually I don't get a short answer. Usually I get a long answer. And what's interesting about the answer to that, it always goes back to relationships. It always goes back to the people that we've had a relationship with that went well or that we've hurt in certain ways and what we want to do towards the end of our life is we want to not only heal ourselves but we want to heal those relationships um, that surrounded us and were most important to us Mm. and you hear a lot of times in hospice that people will not die until all the pieces are taken care of that they need to do on this earth and many times they'll wait two or three days to die so that a relative that's most important or estranged that maybe lives in California and they're in Wisconsin uh, comes back to stand next to their bedside and to talk to them one last time and then they'll be at peace and then they can die. Yeah, I heard that too. And I also heard too, like that sometimes they, it's almost like this, they wait till everyone clears the room so no one sees them die, which is another interesting tidbit i'm like oh it's so interesting i wonder if you do control a little bit on when you die in the sense of the timing of who's in the room and who's not based on all my years in hospice i can tell you that people have complete control of that wow that's wild that's so wild all right so i want to ask you the question you asked them which is so brent what is the most important thing that's happened to you in your life at this point Meeting my wife and having children, to be honest Aww. with you. Good, good answer. She's right there. 
<laughs> All right, Tina, is that true for you too? <laughs> you know, it, it probably is very true. I've had a couple of experiences in my life that normal people don't get the experience to have. I've um, I've had a couple health issues that put me at the edge of death. So I have seen things a little differently than a normal mid-50s person would see. So um, I think that that has allowed me to have a deeper understanding of what a true relationship needs to be, um, honest-wise, whether it's a positive or negative statement. It has, you know, I find myself being much more honest and open, which I think has helped Brent to be able to uh, to listen to the stories that he hears with a much more open and honest ear and a vantage point to ask the questions. Uh, we don't live in utopia. And sometimes our experiences bring a little bit of pain in order for us to be able to see where the love is coming from. So, um, yes, marrying Brent was definitely a big part of my life. And I've been able to utilize my experiences to make us much stronger. <laughs> That's very sweet. And so you mentioned that you're, you had an illness that really changed your perspective. So what was that? Yeah, I've had a couple of them. When I was 32 years old and I had babies on the ground here, I actually had a subdural hematoma, so I had brain bleeding, and they called it spontaneous. Um, that nearly took my life. They told Brent to go home and prepare because they didn't think I'd make it, and I did, obviously. Um, <laughs> and then about seven years ago, I had a scare with breast cancer, and last year I have had a scare with uterine cancer. So uh, some reason or another, I have death knocking at the door, but he keeps walking away, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a lot, and so the two forms of different cancers I think you know like how did that what was that process like for you to go through that knowing just the word itself is enough to scare people and to think that no this is the end you know what I I guess my first experience as a subdural hematoma allowed me to accept life and death so it doesn't for me it's got a little bit of different um take to it uh I'm ready uh I'm I'm hoping I don't go soon but if I do go, I know I've loved on my grandbabies, I've loved on my husband, I've loved on my kids. Um, I've left them with the best that I can of myself. And if it happens, it happens. And I go and I figure my values and beliefs say that I can watch them from, from the other side of the veil. And that's okay with me. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's beautiful that, as you said, like you can, you've let go of, you know, that the idea that you're not going to die and you made amends with that and you've done so much now to allow yourself to almost have a more freeing life or a lightness to life that you're not running from death anymore it's just like you know i've done everything i needed to do and everything else is now like a bonus so i think that's that's amazing that your your mindset has changed so much are you or are you prepared if brent ever died before you yeah, you know, like I said, the value of my life um, just moves forward in how much love I can give and how much love I can receive. And if I'm done receiving that from my husband on this earth, I know that he'll be on the other side giving it just as well. Mm -hmm. Humanly, yes, I will miss him greatly. But spiritually, I'll know that he's there with me all the time. So, you know, for me, I guess some people would say that that's kind of a, a Pollyanna way of looking at it. But to my core, I believe that. So it, it's much more um, accepting. Yeah, I can only imagine how much like that supports you so much in healing and feeling better just about living life, because the opposite of that is just it's very scary. And so, you know, at the end, I think what you're doing is, is beautiful in the sense of it's keeping you 
more loving in this world and it allows you to spread that love as you go so man good for you for you know keeping those beliefs in those trying times and to also continue to grow so that you know you can be the best person you can be with your time left here right right you know the, the human world is so so fleeting that you know if you spend it doing anything else but loving on people you're wasting your time <laughs> <laughs> that's funny all right brent uh same question uh, for you have you really pondered your own death seeing that your your wife was you know near death i actually ponder my death because of the work that I do on a daily basis. You know, when I'm sitting in front of a person and they may only have a day or six months to live, it invokes inside yourself what happens if you only have a day to live or you only have six months to live. And so I think it really changes you in terms of how you have an outlook on life and what you do on your daily basis and your walk through life and what's important. And, you know, I was in management for 40 years, working 88 hours a week and traveling throughout the country and internationally. And I realized that that wasn't the life that I wanted to continue living, that I wanted to slow down. I wanted to spend more time uh, developing the relationships that were around me and to start giving to the world in a much different way. And I think that's really what changed me and uh, put me into a thanatology program and, and now puts me where I am today. Wow, that's super cool. And I think it's uh, amazing. You said like just sitting with the dying has helped you so much, but you also found the stress of living that lifestyle. And it's about you know taking the time you have left now and making it meaningful and providing that that legacy that you want to create as as you move forward in this life. So I think it's great the work you both are doing and how you're trying to help people put together their lives in the last stages of it and to help family members to know more and not have regrets or wonders. Uh, it's all going to be like right there. So that's I'm really happy for you guys and wish you all the best as you continue to promote the business and work with those who are dying. No, we appreciate it. You know, we, we've expanded and we do now love letters for people. We document letters from war. Um, we also do veteran stories. So, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can find us at heartstringsmemories.com and Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. But most importantly, we're here if you need us. Uh, we go nationwide. Um, so we're ready to go to Canada once you call. And, uh, you know, we'll go all over the world just to help people to document their stories, because we think that most importantly, we don't want one person's story left untold. Have you ever thought about capturing video of them saying certain things to certain people? Because I know my friend, she, her father um, had an illness and then died, but he left every kid a tape of them saying something to them. And she gets great comfort into holding that because first you could see him again, but you also can hear their voice again. I know that's one of the beauties of these dreams people have at end of life or not even end of life, just in bereavement because they get to hear the voice of their loved one again and you get to see them. And so there's the letter part is like you get to read it, but have you ever thought about also doing video or adding that in? We have. It's actually not part of the dignity therapy protocol. And the reason is most people that are in hospice at the end of their life don't want to be remembered in that way, both visually and orally. Um, mm. There's a lot of different ways that you can do legacy uh, for a family member. You can 
you know, put together your family history or family tree or you know, donate to a charity or a cause or dedicate a park bench or write letters. Um, there's a lot of different ways, but um, we like this protocol because it really gets at the essence of who the person was and their personality and their dialect and their mannerisms. That's cool. You know, back when we were talking about the fear factor of dying, um, it, that what you're talking about is perfect for people that are either uh, newly diagnosed with a cancer that they say, you know, you're not going to make it two years. Um, it's really great for people that know that they, the, the end of their life may come within 10 or 20 years and do the video. But we as a country are reactionary. So we don't think about that prior to the situation happening. So the person passes and then everybody says, oh, I wish I had. And the person gets cancer and they all say, well, I'm going to beat this and I'm not going to die. And they get to the point, either elderly or sick, where they don't want people to see them as they are. It's a very rare moment where you find somebody who will embrace that and actually do videos for people before they actually come to the end where they don't want people to see them or hear them. So it's been an interesting twist. We would like to be able to do that, but until we can start to see life as a journey to live instead of a fear of dying, um, that's going to be a difficult um, hurdle. Yeah, I never thought about that. It's interesting. It's very interesting. All right, let's uh, moving forward to our next sort of uh, transition or, or part is sort of loss. And so I know you guys sit with the dying all the time, but have you had suffered any major losses in your life? So Brent, we'll talk with you first. Um, I actually have had a lot of loss in my life. Um, when I was just graduated out of college, I lost my grandmother on my mother's side to my maternal grandmother. And that was probably the hardest thing that I've ever gone through in my whole life. Um, she was very, very dear to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. We spent a lot of time together and her loss was, was just extraordinary in my life. And then a number of years later, my grandfather had died. Since then, within the last six years, I actually lost one of my brothers. I lost my mother and then I lost my father. So there's been a lot of loss. And in none of those situations did I ever have their stories documented. Wow, that's a lot of loss. Wow, that's rough, man. How did how did you find working through all that? Because that's like majority of your family there. I do a lot of prayer, to be honest with you. And so what kind of questions do you have now that you wish you maybe would have asked back then? Well, the questions through this protocol, I think, are the questions that I wish I would have asked my grandparents and my parents, my brother, and documented their life stories so that I could have had them. But, you know, knowing what I know now and losing out on that opportunity to do that with them, I'm totally passionate about doing it for other people. And so that's why, you know, I'll travel throughout the world to make sure that somebody's life story is documented so they can pass it down to the next generation. Was there anything surprising in your grief journey that maybe you didn't expect when it first happened? You know, grief is an interesting thing that everybody tries to put a timeline on grief. And sometimes for many people, grief lasts the rest of their lives so that, you know, I can say that, you know, 40 years ago, I lost my grandmother, but really, you know, 
it's something that's still with me today in some form or another. Um, I don't think you ever get over grief. I think that you get to a position where you can continue living, uh, hopefully, um, a life that you're meant to live and to move on and to move past that. But you don't ever forget that and you don't ever not remember that. You always encounter certain situations where that grief resurrects itself. And that happens a lot when parents lose children. That grief is uh, continual throughout the life. Like, what would that child have been like graduating from grade school? And uh, my child would have been at the age where this year he would have graduated from high school. And and then uh, at this age, he probably would have been married or she would have been married. Um, and I lose out on all those life stages with uh, with that person. The same is true with us as adults. You know, I I didn't have my grandmother to come to uh, my graduation when I graduated from my master's degree uh, or when I hit my my marriage. You know, I was at my marriage and, and she wasn't there. So we reach these different life uh, events that are so important to us. And on a physical plane, we don't have those people with us. Yeah, I noticed that too. And uh, when I graduated, the grief sort of hit me afterwards of my father not being there. And I, yeah, I can understand sort of that sentiment. It's like you have these major life moments and then you realize they're not there. And it's about processing those feelings at the same time as processing the achievement of what's just happening. And that can be a very difficult thing because you almost don't want to process it during the moment sometimes like I couldn't you know I look back I'm like there's no way I could have processed my grief as I was defending because I wouldn't be able to defend so I had to like push it to the side to actually get through and then I could actually look at that and, and feel that a little bit more so yeah it's uh yeah grief is a very interesting thing that you said like it it goes on forever and it comes in these weird different moments that sometimes you're, you don't expect I'm curious when you're in your theontology program what was one thing that did you did you learn anything more than you already knew going through your own loss? Like, was there some stuff there that you're like, oh, I never knew that? Well, I think the thing about thanatology is um, there's a lot of theories that are really developed in this world today on how to approach grief and how to approach bereavement counseling and and how to deal with specific types of grief, such as crisis events, such as a car accident, something that's very sudden, or suicide. And one of the things that I think that it taught me in going through that process was that everybody's grief is very individual, and that it's it's unique to that person. And we cannot say that their grief is unusual, or that their grief is incorrect in any ways, or has any errors in it, because it's how they experience that person, that individual that they lost, or their dog that they lost, or the house that they lost. And we have to approach that and, and to really share with them that journey. And sometimes it's enough to just hold their hand and to be present with them and not say a single word. All right. So have you ever had a dream with any of the people that you've lost so far? I have not. You haven't had a dream with your parents or brother? Okay. I've had a couple of dreams with my grandmother who passed away quite a long time ago. Um, and she was a very sweet woman, kind of an Emily Post kind of woman, followed everything with the white glove. 
Um, and they've been very kind and very sweet dreams. So it's been very healing. We've had a, we have a very large family. My mom has 10 in her family for siblings, my dad, nine. So, you know, the kids end up being a number, but by golly, if those grandparents didn't treat each one of us, like we were special and there's over 30, I don't know, 37 grandchildren on that side. So for her to come back in those dreams is kind of special because she's got 37 grandchildren to go to. And she chose to visit me that night. So that's been very fun. And I do have a different outlook on, on grief and dying and all that. It's a little bit more accepting. You know, when you're born, the only thing you're guaranteed is death. So from there, you know, it's an acceptance. And um, it's kind of a joy to know that their earthly experience is done here and that they've been welcomed back home, you know, to a, a home on the other side with family members that have been gone. So for me, it's kind of a, a, a rejoicing instead of a sadness. Uh, it doesn't replace the fact that I miss them, but it does allow me to know that they are very peaceful and happy where they are. Oh, that's interesting. It's interesting that, say, like you have that belief and that belief supports sort of your your journey here and really what, what you feel. And I'm glad the dreams are comforting to you as you move forward through that process, have you ever asked any of the other, I guess, grandchildren or anyone else if they've had a dream of your grandmother? No, I haven't. I should ask them that because I haven't, I never thought about that. Normally the dreams don't happen when I'm going to be going and visiting them. We live away from um, the home farm area back in Illinois now, and I don't see them very often, but that's going to be a fun thing to mention the next time that we have a, a family gathering, I will bring that up because that would be a great topic of conversation. Well, that's why we started the podcast to get people talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, you'll be surprised. Like I wouldn't doubt it if the majority of people have had one and what their experiences are and how it made them feel that varies. And that's the interesting part of it all and what kinds of dreams they have, because they're probably very different than what you had because you had a different relationship with her. So your dreams are going to be different with her. I can believe that to be true because our relationship with them on the earthly plane is different. So sure, I can imagine that it would be different um, coming from the other side as well. So have you had any other losses or was your grandmother the, the only one so far? Um, I've lost all of my grandparents. I haven't lost my parents or any siblings. And there really hasn't been a lot of loss in our family that wasn't extended. Cancer that lasted several years, diabetes that lasted several years. So we were capable of mending um, what needed to be mended before they went. So as far as grief goes for me, it, I, we did lose a, a pet, which was very sad, but a human grief is for me a little bit different um, in vantage point because I really haven't had a big grief with um, a dying loved one. So I, I don't think I have. I think it's been pretty, I've had a pretty mild life there. And that's good. Like, what's interesting, you know, you've only had a dream of your grandmother with all those different losses. Yeah, I haven't had, no, my two grandfathers and my other grandmother has not come to me in a dream. Just the one grandmother. Or yeah, your pet, the one or your deceased pet hasn't come or, either. Right, no, no. Although I do wonder if he didn't help us pick out the one we have now. So I never <laughs> know. <laughs> that gets a little far out there then. <laughs> That's funny. Well, there's an, there's that movie. Uh, was about the uh, was it a dog's life or something? And it's about like the dog reincarnating, like in other oh, dogs. Yeah, yeah. I think they're coming with a sequel. I just went to the movies the other day, 
and there's like the sequel coming out soon. So uh, <laughs> anyways, it's uh, who knows, but it's an interesting concept. Uh, but I want to ask you, <laughs> Tina, if you could have a dream tonight of someone who's died, uh, who would it be and what would that dream look like to you? Wow. I would love to have a dream with Brent's mom. She was a, a, an amazing woman, very compassionate, but she lived on a, a she lived a life that was very protected because um, Brent's dad was a little bit harsh sometimes with his words and he wasn't a, a truly compassionate man about life. He really, I think he felt that life kind of gave him a short stick and his mom was just a lovely compassionate woman but protected because she didn't want to be uh, looked at as uh, like having an attitude towards life that was too loose or too loving or too light because I think that Brent's dad was, was very, you know, harsh on life gives you what you deserve kind of thing. So I think it'd be fun to sit with her and really talk with her about her passion toward life and to, to see how much love she really was covering up and not allowing to come out. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and you probably even get some secrets of Brent's childhood that he hasn't shared. <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> I, might, I might understand my oldest daughter a little more. <laughs> that's funny. And so where would you want this conversation to take place? You want it in a park, in a house, on the moon? Oh, gosh, I think outdoors would be lovely. She yeah. loved to fish. She loved to be out by water. So probably a picnic park somewhere would be something that she would be very open to and very invited. So I think she'd feel comfortable there. Well, that's nice. And last question would be, is it just going to be her and you, or do you want other people also involved in the dream? Uh, I think I'd like to be a little selfish. Um, okay. I think I'd like to have this with her. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, all right, beautiful. It's, I think it's a beautiful dream that uh, that you want to have. And say, like at the end of the day, it's very interesting to know what dream would actually provide you a little comfort and a little more understanding on their own personal life. I think that goes to the legacy work that you're doing is understanding a little bit more about about her and about what she truly was inside that maybe you couldn't really get um, when she was alive because of the constraints. So you know, I think that's a beautiful dream. So hopefully you have, and if you do have something like that, you got to let us know. <laughs> I sure will. Yeah, well, you'd be the first one to call. Well, Brent first, then you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. excellent. All right. So for Brent, so uh, what dream would you want to have tonight if you could of someone who's died? I would definitely have a dream with my grandmother. I think that, you know, you, you asked where would it be? It would always have to be at her kitchen table because she was always preparing meals, always feeding you more than you should have eaten in a week. And um, I would just love to just spend time with her, even if we didn't talk. Mm, so I, I can see that. I can see her like making some food. What was one of her uh, favorite dishes that she made you? She made a goulash that for years I've been trying to find the recipe for. And I swear I cannot find it. Someday I'm going to meet her again and say, did you just make that up? Or did you have it in one of these recipe books that I can't find? But it was goulash. That's funny. That's, a, that's amazing. It's amazing she was such a great cook. Yes, food is something that's very, uh, we remember that. You know, those are, the, those are some of the moments that we don't need to talk, but just the eating of it and being and seeing them is really like the comforting feelings that we need. And so my other last question is, what age would you want her to be? Because I know you know her as a grandma, as really old, but she could be any age. So what age do you want her to be? I would want her at the age that I left her at. 
So yeah, she would be she would be older, but um, that's where I left her, and that's where I want to pick up. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that sounds good. Hey, you know, like, um, and I've heard, you know, I've seen like people where the grandmother's, you know, is uh, is younger. And it's amazing, like when these dreams do happen, what age they like they come at her, like the images of the person, because that's always always an interesting thing. And I remember even like looking at my grandmother. Like I would even my own age, right? Like what age I would want to be, and it's like they almost always need to be older than you, because like even with my dad, uh, when he comes in the dreams, he's always older, and I'm always gonna be. It's gonna be interesting as I grow up, like maybe when I go beyond his death date, when he was around 55 when he died, like when I'm 60, will he still be around? You know, like 40, 40, 50, or will he also increase in age as I go? So it'd be interesting to see if like as you uh, both of you as you dream of uh, your deceased as you guys age if they become younger if they become older just to sort of like make that that separation in age uh, because of the identities it'll be interesting if i wake up tomorrow morning and i'm in trouble then i'll know that tina actually had that dream with my mom <laughs> <laughs> that's funny uh, she loves you don't worry <laughs> you're one of her favorite moments in life <laughs> That's funny. All right. So I want to thank you guys both for coming on and, and sharing all about sort of the conference that you're going to be attending, the the work you're doing together, and also about your grief and the dreams that you've had. So, you know, thank you so much for everything that you're doing um, and helping other people die better, I guess is the best way, or die well. And, you know, and keep, uh, keep, keep letting me know if these dreams do come, because if they do, we'll have you back on the podcast and we can chat some more. Perfect. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing, Joshua. I hope to see you again very soon. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome, guys. It was, it was a fun it was a fun talk. Where can people find your stuff uh, if they need to? Again, you can find us on heartstringsmemories.com um, and also on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Same name? Uh, yes, all under heartstringsmemories. Um, okay. And then you can call us anytime at 414-630-7321. Anytime is that actually true? <laughs> that is actually true. <laughs> All right, you might get a call tomorrow at <laughs> 4 a.m. <laughs> We're here. We're here. <laughs> That's good. Well, I'm glad. 24/7. You heard it, folks. If you need them, they're there. <laughs> All right, and to wrap up with uh, our stuff, please check out griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. We had a donation button, so you can always donate there. There's perks for those who donate. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group and you can share your dreams if you've had them or listen to others on there. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams. And there's a children's book called Dream of Owl that I authored that can be found on Amazon. And as we always love to say, with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.